Hello and welcome to Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. I'm Ian Masters, and today we'll examine a number of stories and issues in the news. We begin with the target letter Trump got from Special Counsel Jack Smith, asking him to appear before the D.C. Grand Jury investigating the January 6th insurrection or face indictments for deprivation of rights, conspiracy to defraud the United States, and witness tampering. Joining us to discuss this third indictment with more to come and how these many cases may end up in courts during next year's presidential primaries and presidential election is Alan Lickman, a political historian who teaches at American University and has studied both the American right and the presidency, the author of The Keys to the White House, a surefire way to predicting the next president. His prediction system has correctly predicted the outcomes of all U.S. presidential elections since 1984, including the 2016 election, when against all odds he predicted a Trump victory. His most recent books are The Embattled Vote in America, Repeal the Second Amendment, The Case for a Safe America, and 13 Cracks, Repairing American Democracy After Trump. Then we'll look into yesterday's announcement by Michigan's Attorney General that 16 Republican operatives were charged with felony counts for acting as fake electors in trying to submit phony and forged Electoral College certificates to substitute their preference of Trump over the majority of Michiganders who voted for Biden. Joining us is Fred Wertheimer, the founder and president of Democracy 21, a non-profit, non-partisan organization that promotes campaign finance, lobbying, ethics, and related reforms to accomplish these goals. He has spent 35 years working on government integrity issues, and we'll discuss his article at MSNBC, Why Arizona's 2020 Electors Investigation Only Adds to Trump's Troubles, and how other states like Arizona and Georgia are following Michigan's lead as special counsel Jack Smith investigates who were the architects of this scheme in the White House. And joining us now is Alan Lickman, who's a political historian who teaches at American University and has studied both the American right and the presidency. He's the author of The Case for Impeachment and The Keys to the White House, a sure way of predicting the next president. His prediction system has correctly predicted the outcomes of all U.S. presidential elections since 1984, including the 2016 election, when against all odds he predicted a Trump victory. His most recent books are The Embattled Vote in America, Repeal the Second Amendment, The Case for a Safe America, and 13 Cracks, Repairing American Democracy After Trump. Welcome to Background Briefing, Alan Lickman. Thank you, Ian. Well, thanks for joining us, Alan. And speaking of after Trump, Kevin McCarthy is all in, as you know, with Trump. And he's saying that the special counsel's letter to Trump, basically saying, you know, show up at the grand jury in Washington, D.C., or expect an indictment. That would be Trump's third indictment. He's dismissing this all as, a, as you know, a political ploy on the part of the Democrats to get rid of the most popular Republican candidate likely to challenge Biden in 2024 and going on to say how Trump is higher in the polls than ever. And that is the amazing thing, Alan. Why is it that the more you find out about what a criminal and a disaster this man, Donald Trump, has been and is, he goes up in the polls and gets more Republican voters? Yeah. Before I get to that, let me just comment on the first part of what you said. You know, you can take what Republicans have said about all of these indictments and, in effect, they're scripts already written, taken out of a can. 
doesn't matter how serious the indictments are. Doesn't matter if they're in Florida or in D.C. or New York or Georgia. It's never Donald Trump's fault. It has never has anything to do with anything Donald Trump has done. It's always the fault of someone else. Even when he was convicted civilly of sexually assaulting, hurting, and defaming E. Jean Carroll, uh, the Republicans uh, wrote it off. It's, oh, it's New York. He can't get a fair trial. If you notice, if you look and listen carefully to what they said, never once do they say, here's what he's charged with, here's what the evidence is, and here's what why the evidence doesn't hold up. It's always the same canned attack on the investigators, the prosecutors, the jury. And this coming from the law and order Republicans who have blasted Democrats for attacking the police. And now they've attacked every element of law enforcement just because it's turned against Trump. Now, why does this seem to at least not hurt Trump? I'm not sure it strengthens him. I'm not sure he's stronger than he was. But why doesn't it hurt him? Because a couple of things. One, his supporters understand that Trump is a bully who's not bound by the usual laws and constraints of the rest of us. But they don't see that as a fault. They see that as a benefit. He's our bully. He's the guy who's going to fight for us no matter what, no matter how much trouble it might get in him into. He is never going to stop fighting for us. I'll go back to the great Red Scare of the 1950s, you know, perpetrated by the unscrupulous Joseph McCarthy. Well, as long as Howard Truman was in office, a Democrat, Republican said, and I'm paraphrasing, Joe, you may be a son of a bitch, but you're our son of a bitch, and that's okay. And then as soon as a Republican gets elected and McCarthy keeps attacking, then and only then do Republicans abandon McCarthy. So you're not going to crack Trump's base. It could be 10 indictments, 10 convictions. It doesn't affect them because they think Trump is their bully and they love it. So there's a difference, though, Alan, between being their bully and being a neo-fascist leader who wants to bring fascism to America with him as the new Duce. I mean, uh, the recent New York Times article about what Trump and his staff and the Heritage Foundation are planning is just unbelievable uh, how flagrant and open they are about him basically taking over the entire government and uh, being a dictator. So is there any way... This can be a distinction between being the bully who's sticking it to the libs, which I know that the, the right wing love, but is there any sense that there's also another agenda here? Or that, would they be happy with a fascist leader? You know, I recall after Russia intervened on behalf of Donald Trump in the 2016 election, the greatest threat to American sovereignty, perhaps since the War of 1812. And uh, Trump's supporters said, we don't care. So long as they were intervening on our behalf, that was okay because they are totally end point oriented. 
and they don't really care one way or another about uh, how they get there. And there has always been this strong authoritarian trend on the right. You know, go back to the origins of the right, right after World War One. What were the first things they did? Uh, establish national prohibition, the greatest intrusion on the lives of the American people in history to that point. You know, it killed an entire industry. It changed the personal habits of America. It started a huge crime wave. It filled the prisons. It required a national dragnet on people's uh, habits. And of course, then a draconian law restricting immigration, particularly from Catholic and Jewish countries. And what do Republicans want to do now? Uh, the equivalent of prohibition, a national ban on abortion. If anything, that's even a more authoritarian and draconian imposition on our freedom than uh, prohibition was. And you know, you, you, so you, this is nothing new. There has been this strain of authoritarianism that has run through the right for the last century or more. And this also explains their attack on education. You know, there's wonderful work on authoritarianism. And the greatest threat to an authoritarianism is an educated people. And that's why you see in places like Texas and Florida, this concerted attack on the academy, on education, on how we teach our kids to, in effect, impose a Republican orthodoxy in education and even undermine public education itself. So none of this surprises me. And let's not forget, too, uh, Trump's face doesn't get its news from The New York Times. You know, we have these bubbles now where people are only fed information that reinforces their biases and are inoculated from any alternative information. Oh, that's just the deep state out to get Trump. Oh, that's just the mainstream, liberally biased media. So anything that is negative about Trump or, or, or their movement, they're inoculated against. They don't even consider it. So, Alan Lickman, Trump got the target letter from, from Jack Smith. He went public with it to rally these people, his supporters, living in his world in the most amazing way, to the point where I think you can actually divide America between team crazy and team normal, because they're impervious to facts and information, and they just believe this guy's lies. And you would literally have to scour the planet to find a human being worse than this man. I mean, there's nothing about him except the fact that he's just a horror. I mean, even, <laughs> even his chief of staff, General Kelly, at one point said, this man is evil. I mean, it's just extraordinary. But given what's happening now and the likelihood that he's going to be indicted, and from what we understand is that the indictments on the January 6th insurrection are deprivation of rights, conspiracy to defraud the United States, and witness tampering, is there a possibility that there'll be a trial in D.C. before there's a trial in Florida, given that Trump's favorite judge down there, Aileen Cannon, should have recused herself because of her, you know, supine loyalty to Trump. So there's a lot of suspicion that she's going to go along with his delaying tactics. You know, I have this sneaking feeling because she got slapped down so hard by the 11th Circuit last time. And that was three Republican appointed judges, I believe, including two appointed by Trump. 
that slapped her down hard. So I'm not sure she's just going to cave in to Trump's demand to postpone the trial till after the election. I don't think it'll be in December of this year, but I think it will be before the election. I could be wrong, but that's my gut feeling. But <laughs> an indictment in D.C. that doesn't involve classified documents, that's going to be tried within a year, maybe not in 2023, but certainly by mid-2023. 2024. He could be facing trials in D.C., New York, Florida, and Georgia, all of which involve serious felonies, four cases in four different venues before the general election of 2024. You know, Republicans are screaming. I'm not sure what Hunter Biden did, to be honest with you, but you know, he's not a candidate. He's never been an office holder. <laughs> He's the son of a president. You know, you want to look at, you know, corrupt children, look at Jared and Ivanka. But, you know, Republicans are portraying whatever it was that Hunter Biden supposedly did. And I'm still not sure after four years of charges what it was as the crime of the century. And they couldn't care less that Donald Trump has tried to destroy our democracy and undermined our national security. None of that. No matter. Never mind. We're focused on important things like stopping drag shows. Well, today they had one of those stupid kangaroo court hearings in the Congress, in the House, with this so-called IRS whistleblower who, again, it was a nothing burger. Again, he didn't deliver anything. Uh, I guess that's not the point as long as they keep... Then and they turned <laughs> Hunter Biden. I mean, he's the kind of the equivalent of George Soros is for the right wing. You know, it's like catnip, isn't it? You know, the, it really the, is. You know, here's the thing about George Soros. You know, again, you got to understand all of these tendencies run deep historically. I'm working on a, on a brand new book, almost done with it, called uh, "The Truth About Conservatism." It's not what you think, and it points out Donald Trump is not an aberration but as the culmination of 100 years of conservatism, things like prohibition, uh, immigration restriction, uh, kowtowing to business, the Red Scare, the Lavender Scare, all of this has uh, its antecedents in uh, the last 100 years of uh, republicanism. So none of this is anything new. And, you know, I... This thing about George Soros is remarkable. One of the things when you look at the history, it's in my book, is for, you know, going back to the Jim Crow era. What conservatives have argued is these evil Jews, you know, who are trying to control the world, are manipulating ignorant, pliable blacks into doing their dirty work. And that's exactly this combination of racism and anti-Semitism that Republican after Republican have charged with D.A. Brack, who's black, and the Jewish billionaire George Soros that, you know, Bragg, never mind that he's a graduate of the Harvard Law School, a former assistant U.S. attorney, is the tool of this evil Jew. You know, somehow they've managed to wrap together racism and anti-Semitism, and it's nothing new. Right, but they're now holier than thou with the... Uh... Israeli president addressing Congress and meeting with Biden, because uh, obviously it's, he's not meeting with Netanyahu, and this is the next best thing. And uh, the Republicans are now accusing the Democrats because of 
Pramila Jayapal made some comment about Israel being an apartheid state and had to apologize for it. But the same Republicans who are making hay about her statements are inviting RFK Jr. to testify. And this is just after he made the most appalling anti-Semitic trope about the COVID-19 being genetically engineered as a bioweapon to save Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese? You know, for again, all of this has historical antecedents. Go back to the rise of the fundamentalist movement and evangelical Christianity support for Israel. You know, you they would make it believe that this is support for the Jewish people and the Jewish religion. It's exactly the opposite. Why do they support Israel? And they're open about this because they think Israel is going to be the site of the final battle between good and evil, the return of Christ. And you know what's going to happen to the Jewish people? Unless they become Christians, they're all going to be consigned to hell. So, you know, this notion that our support for Israel is really support for the Jewish people is, you know, a lot of nonsense. You know, again, you know, Republicans ignore perhaps the worst crimes by a high official in history by Donald Trump and portray as the crime of the century. Who knows what? That, you know, Hunter Biden, who's never held or run for any kind of office, may or may not have done. They ignore thousands of horrible, bigoted comments by Donald Trump and jump all over, you know, one comment by one of hundreds of Democrats as damning the the entire party. You know, it, it's just remarkable uh, what's going on. And by the way, this, you know, uh, U.S. attorney who was supposedly slow walking the Hunter Biden investigation, Ian, you know who appointed him, don't you? Right. Donald <laughs> Trump. <laughs> right. And you well, know who his boss was for most of the investigation, William Barr. <laughs> right. Well, you mentioned uh, the book of Revelation and that Christian Zionist support for Israel. I mean, part of their delusion, and apparently it's somewhere written in the book of Revelation, which is next to impossible to follow at any rate. Yeah, uh, I've tried. <laughs> is that... Uh, that 144,000 Jews will be spared and they'll be raptured up with all the the Southern Baptists, you know. So I don't think that's a particularly good deal for Israel, frankly. Uh, but, but you and I, we'll burn in the lake of fire. That's for sure. That so is for it's, sure. It's, you it's know. spiritual pornography. It's absolutely obscene that it's got any traction whatsoever. It, but, it is absolutely <clears throat> Right. You know, remarkable. And again, they're they're open about that. It's it, and it's been the case for a hundred years. You know, you know this kind of you know right. second coming, the rapture, and who's uh, elevated and who's cast down. Right. And you don't need to care about the environment because it's all going to end anyway. It's all going to so, end anyway. So the, the investment in right. death at the expense of life is just so obscene. But let's talk, though, about about what's happening today. And we t went through all the legal jeopardy facing Trumps and the many trials that will be happening uh, next year, likely. So back to the original question about his his base. Will the fact that he's on trial on, with so many counts against him 
Will that in any way peel some of these people off? I doubt it, but he can't win with his base. His base is 40%. And this, these trials will definitely hurt his ability to expand the base. Already, you know, a majority of Americans, although you know, only a small minority of Republicans, believe Trump has committed a crime. And we ha- haven't seen the trials yet. You know, all we've seen is pieces of paper. When, when the trials actually occur and all the evidence comes out, you know, it's going to be a very different story. You know, you guys in the media are my best friends, but I got to say, not you, because you, you're pretty much above that. But most folks in the media are very poll driven. And the truth is, polls, you know, more than a year out from the election, do with them what the great philosopher David Hume said do with works of superstition, confine them to the flames. They're worthless. But one interesting thing about the polls is there's about a 15% undecided in the polls, in the general election polls. That's, that's amazing. That's very, very high. I can't believe Trump's trials are going to help him win any of that 15%. Let's take a brief station break now and we Let's take a brief station break now and we'll be back continuing the conversation with Alan Lickman. Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And we're continuing the conversation with Alan Lickman, a political historian who teaches at American University, is the author of The Case for Impeachment, The Keys to the White House, A Surefire Way of Predicting the Next President, a prediction system that's correctly predicted the outcomes of all U.S. presidential elections since 1984, including the 2016 election, when against all odds he predicted a Trump victory. And his latest book is 13 Cracks, Repairing American Democracy After Trump. So... If you could put yourself in the shoes of a democratic strategist then, Alan, would it be better if Trump gets the Republican nomination, even though he poses such an extraordinary danger to American democracy and to the world? Because, you know, he's totally in Putin's pocket. He emulates and admires Putin because Putin is a genuine gangster capitalist who's running a mafia state. And Trump clearly uh, wants to be a gangster capitalist and made it clear of his affinity for the mob. He sort of is a wannabe mob boss along with a a wannabe gangster capitalist. And Putin is his role model uh, because Putin's actually created a mafia state. And if Trump takes over, that's 
what we would have. And I don't understand why the oligarchs that support him would want that, but apparently they do. They're throwing it's, money It's a it. scary choice, you know. Trump will be a very, very wounded candidate. I believe by the time the general election rolls around, he will be a multiple-time convicted felon, which won't stop him from running. Eugene Victor Debs, the socialist, ran from jail in 1920 and got over 900,000 votes. And by the way, you know what he was in jail for? Violating the Espionage Act. In a much <laughs> right. less significant way than Trump has, allegedly. Uh, all, all, all Debs did was criticize World War I and the Wilson administration. That got him in jail. He wasn't jeopardizing American national security like Trump is allegedly charged with. Right. So, but he, he was a socialist, right? God, he was a socialist, how can we have yeah. such a thing in this country? Socialists were against the war, of course, yeah, for I good mean, reason. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was the and, early Red Scare back then, yeah. Yeah. The and Palmer so, raids, etc. Yeah. He can run, but it's going to be enormous handicap running as a multiple convicted felon. So on the one hand, you may say he's a grievously wounded can. On the other hand, you may say, do you want to have even the slightest chance of Trump again becoming president of the United States and essentially extinguishing our democracy? So, you know, my advice to Democrats, stay out of it. Let Republicans, you know, fight among themselves. As the, the great strategist, a brutal warrior, Napoleon once said, never interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake. Well, though, Rupert Murdoch, of course, who's the kingmaker, both here and abroad, you know, England and the UK, Australia, he's, he seems to have some sort of primal need to manipulate politics because he can do it, not to any end except an exercise in power. So he's now apparently wanting to get Glenn Youngkin to run. And, you know, the nice fleecy jacket guy that's going to win over the suburban mums. What are the chances of anybody else? I, I take your advice to stay out of it, let him self-destruct. Uh, and Trump could even go further if he doesn't get the nomination. He could he could then form a third party. That would be ideal, of course, for the that Democrats. That would be ideal for the Democrats. To have but, DeSantis and Trump on uh, on the same ballot. I wouldn't put it past Trump. Right. He doesn't care about the Republicans. He only cares about himself. So, you know, I think that's not an impossible scenario. But I think basically within the Republican Party, what you see now is what you've got. There's going to be no savior of Republicans, you know, late in the game, riding their high horse and, you know, rescuing the GOP. I mean, I think the first debate is, is, is next month. So, right. you know, there's not a whole lot of room for anyone to come in. And at this point, you know, no one is close to Trump. Obviously, that could change. But. Here's the remarkable thing, and I think we've mentioned this before. Go back eight years to 2015. Trump's approval rating hasn't moved an inch. It's basically around 40 to 42 percent, you know, give or take a point or two. And it hasn't moved in eight years. Well, the fact that it hasn't moved in eight years with all the evidence piling up is appalling, but we've already discussed that that kind of world of the sort of siloed world of the Republican alternative universe in terms of Trump. But 
there's something else that's happening, though, on the Democratic side, in, t- in other words, hurting Biden, that make that buffer between, say, 60 and 40 percent, where you think, oh, well, we shouldn't worry about Biden if Trump's the best he can do is 40 percent. The problem is, and it happens all the time with the Democrats, or at least on the Democratic side, they get sabotaged or they sabotage themselves. In this case, it seems like a pretty venal operation that's largely funded by Republican billionaires that is being run by Joe Lieberman and Nancy Jacobson, who's married to Mark Penn, and they're raising money right, left, and center to put a third party on the ballot called Poison. No No Labels. Poison. Yeah, but they're, they're already they're already got them on the ballot in Arizona, and they're working on getting them in, on the ballot in a lot of other swing states. And yeah. they could have a terrible and detrimental effect. And they seem to be a stalking horse for, you know, right-wing pro-Israel money. The best way the right-wing can defeat Biden is to find a patsy, a stalking horse, to run a third party. I mean, you know, they've got to get it, you know, under my system, of 13 keys to the White House, which, you know, has been right for 40 years. I do have a third party key. But uh, to trigger that key, the third party has to get 5% or more of the vote. But if you've got big money Republicans behind a stalking horse candidate, uh, they could get enough votes to sink Biden and elect Trump. That's the scariest thing right now on the political horizon. It's the most cynical maneuver you can imagine. But <laughs> why would that surprise anyone? Well, apparently they're wooing Joe Manchin, but possibly others like Kirsten Sinema as well. And again, the fact that they're getting on the ballot, it's not easy to get on the ballot in a in a presidential campaign. No, it's hard. And Ross, you... Ross Perot was the last one to do it because he had a lot of money. So this is a clear and present danger. I'm, I'm just surprised, Alan, that nobody is focusing on this. I'm very surprised because I think it is the single greatest danger to a Biden victory. And you should proclaim it as loudly as you can. Right. So in terms, though, of the immediate situation vis-a-vis Jack Smith and Trump and also Fannie Lewis in Georgia, when do you expect these indictments to come down, particularly on the January the 6th? He's got the target letter. Trump went public on it to rally his troops. And, you know, the target letter basically says, you know, show up for, for, to the grand jury or expect to be indicted. And it's likely that this will be the third time that Trump has been indicted. And then, so when do you, what do you think the timeline is here? Yeah. Because there's also the possibility of an indictment coming out of Fannie Lewis soon in um, Georgia. Based on the last time Trump got a letter and when he was indicted, I would say either this week or early next week. In other words, matter of days, not weeks. That's just my guess, of course. I don't have any inside information, and nobody does. And from what we've gleaned again publicly, I have no inside information about Fannie Willis, the Atlanta DA, probably next month. So I think that uh, Jack Smith uh, wants to get in before Fannie Willis. So I would expect it by next week. 
Well, we know that there are three counts, as I mentioned earlier. One, deprivation of rights. Two, uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States. And three, witness tampering. But that doesn't exclude other uh, charges oh, no. as well. No, he can charge, you know, uh, on a ch- charging letter, he just has to indicate there are enough crimes to charge you with, but he's not limited to what he says in the charging letter. And by the way, you know, even after an indictment, uh, the prosecutor can add more charges. Right. Right up to the time of the trial. Well, there were, th- what, 37 in, in the Mar-a-Lago documents case, right? Yeah, I don't expect more charges there, but you never know. He may charge him in New Jersey. I don't think so, but, you know, maybe there's a case in New Jersey. I have no idea. But uh prosecutor can charge what he wants as long as he gets the grand jury to go along, which is not hard. Well, one of the things that he's looking into, I think, is has always been such a smoking gun. It's been staring us in the face forever. And that are these phony false electors. You know, yeah, they just got charged in Michigan. I exactly. think 16 yeah. phony electors got indicted in Michigan. And so surely that could be part of an indictment of, of Trump. We're not going to know what the charges are from the charging letter. Again, the charging letter just has to say there's enough to charge you. The prosecutor is not bound by the limitations of that letter. And this could be a very wide ranging. Uh, could also include uh, wire fraud. You know, obviously, he, you know, I believe he quite fraudulently built his own supporters, you know, to contribute all this money to him based on lies. Right. But in the case of the phony electors, the real issue is, and we know there's, they're looking into it, both Fannie Lewis in Georgia and also in Arizona, the new Democratic Attorney General uh, is looking along with Michigan's indictments yesterday of 16 of these. I mean, they're pretty stupid people, frankly, who even thought that they could get away with what they did. But still, you know, that was an attack on the very core of democracy itself. We literally, you know, they decide who who yeah, won in the various a few states. Partisans decide we're going to ignore the will of the people and just arrogate to ourselves yeah. the right to decide elections. What could be more corrosive of democracy than that? Right, but get but who who was the architect of this plan? It looks as though Trump. Come on, they did. Yeah. It was coordinated you know, in all of these various states. It didn't just spring up spontaneously out of the ether in each of these states. It had to have been centrally coordinated, 100%. Right. Well, it is truly extraordinary what's is happening. I don't know, are we going to get out of this, do you think? Notwithstanding the threat it's on close. the Democratic side it's from this, this no-labels yeah. operation. I'd, you know, I'm 76. I'd hate to see in the last chapter of my life, you know, the country, you know, that's given me so much destroyed, not on the basis of any kind of principle or ideal, but the sheer lust for power and control. You know, that's what people have to understand. Trump was not attacking the election to uphold some principle, whoever misguided. No, he was doing it 
purely for the reason of nakedly holding and controlling power. Nothing else. No high principle at stake here, even one you might disagree with. Right, but then again, we go back to the specter of fascism, and you say it's been in the history of the United States. There must be some part of our political DNA. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's all, you know, I'm not going to use the word fascism. I've avoided that, but, you know, there certainly has been, as I've pointed out, this powerful authoritarian strain that's run through our history for over 100 years. You've got to understand, for certain conservative evangelical Christians, authoritarian control is not, is not for them an imposition on freedom, because they have a very different idea of freedom than you or I might have. Their idea of freedom is living according to what they see as traditional Christian principles, you know, which are quite different from what Jimmy Carter or Martin Luther King you know, might have seen. But that's their idea of freedom. So when you crack down on drinking, you crack down on abortion, you crack down on gay and lesbian and trans rights, that's not, in their view, an imposition on freedom. That is enabling you to live according to the divine plan as they understand it and interpret it. It's critical to understand that. Well, just in closing, though, Alan, I mean, clearly this combination of moral authoritarianism and laissez capitalism has captured the Supreme Court, and the oligarchy b literally have bought the court. I mean, the fact that, that Thomas and Alito hang out with billionaires tells you everything you need to know about what their priorities are, this majority now. And again, it gets back to my question. How blind is the American oligarchy? They've already captured the Supreme Court. They want, obviously want more, but if they arouse the kind of MAGA lumpen proletariat, then all bets are off. God knows what could happen. Yeah, I don't even want to contemplate what could happen. And, you know, our destiny is in our own hands. You know, you don't have to be a liberal at all to believe in democracy. You need to get out and vote for democracy. This goes beyond things like tax cuts, you know, regulations that might divide liberals and conservatives. No, this is not a liberal and conservative line. This is democracy versus authoritarianism. And I don't care what your views on the issues are. We need to vote for democracy. Well, Alan Lickman, I thank you very much for joining us here today. My pleasure, Ian. Take care. You too. And again, I've been speaking with Alan Lickman, who's a political historian who teaches at American University and has studied both the American right and the presidency. He's the author of The Keys to the White House, A Surefire Way to Predicting the Next President, and his prediction system has correctly predicted the outcomes of all U.S. presidential elections since 1984, including the 2016 election, when against all odds he predicted a Trump victory. And his most recent books are The Embattled Vote in America, Repeal the Second Amendment, The Case for a Safer America, and 13 Cracks, Repairing American Democracy After Trump. We're going to take a brief station break and back looking into yesterday's announcement by Michigan's Attorney General that 16 Republican operatives were charged with felony counts for acting as fake electors in trying to submit phony and forged electoral college certificates to substitute their preference of Trump. 
over the majority of Michiganders who voted for Biden. Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is Fred Wertheimer, who's the founder and president of Democracy 21, a non-profit, non-partisan organization that promotes campaign finance, lobbying, ethics and related reforms to accomplish these goals. He has spent 35 years working on government integrity issues and has an article at MSNBC, Why Arizona's 2020 Electors Investigation Only Adds to Trump's Troubles. Welcome to Background Briefing, Fred Wertheimer. Thank you. Good to be with you again. Well, thanks for joining us, uh, Fred. And why do you think that the Arizona case might even be more damaging to Donald Trump than the Michigan case that was just announced yesterday by Michigan's Attorney General? Well, I don't know that it's more damaging, but it is all part of something that is essential now, and that is making sure people who broke the law, if they broke the law, are held accountable. Now, this effort in Arizona and Michigan took place in other states, and it was all part of a planned scheme uh, to cheat the American people out of their uh, election result. These were all false electors. They were not elected. They had nothing to point to. And they instead tried to substitute themselves for the electors who had won. And this did not happen spontaneously. This came out of Washington. We will see whether it is tied to President Trump or not. That's a question for the special counsel who is looking at all of the January 6 activities, but it's a little hard to believe that there was no involvement uh, at the top with this fraud. It was a fraud. Now, one of the reasons Arizona is important, uh, it it, it was ground zero for the election deniers movement in 2022. The people in that state who were challenging the election in 2020 also were extremely active in the 2022 elections. Uh, Carrie Lake is one of the people who was involved. And it's very important for people who do that kind of stuff to know 
that there is accountability for their actions. If there's no accountability, this is going to happen big time again. So yesterday, Tuesday, Michigan's Attorney General Dana Nessel, who's a Democrat, announced that 16 people would face eight criminal charges, including forgery and conspiracy to commit election forgery. And she finished up the press conference by saying that these people essentially were substituting their preferences for the votes of the majority of citizens in the state of Michigan. And frankly, in terms of election interference and meddling and and whatever else you want to call it, it's obviously been a contentious issue with Republicans talking so much about election fraud without finding any or very few examples. This couldn't be more flagrant, surely, Fred. You just, a bunch of people show up and say they're the electors without any qualifications, without any connection to the truth or to reality. And the point that you made is who orchestrated this should be front and center. Now, I understand Jack Smith is actually looking into it. So what are the other cases apart from uh, Arizona and now Michigan's already underway with these felony indictments? I think Georgia's one as well, isn't it? Yes, Georgia is. Uh, and one would expect that the false electors will be part of the indictments that are expected to come from the Fulton County DA, Fannie Willis, shortly. Uh, in the next uh, few weeks, probably by no later than the end of August. But the people who have been focused on so far. They're at the bottom of the barrel here. They are not the ringleaders of this. They are the foot soldiers. And it's it's very important to make sure that the people who were in charge of this are held accountable. That's something that Jack Smith can do because he's looking at the whole picture. Uh, the, the Georgia DA... Fulton County DA may well be looking at the larger question as well. We don't know yet. But, you know, to put it in simple terms, this was a scheme uh, to steal the election. Uh, And as far as I know, we've never had anything like this in the past or like many of the other things that happened in the effort to steal this election. One of the great ironies in history is the fact that former President Trump daily, almost daily, was talking about how the election was being stolen from him at the same time that he and his allies were trying to steal the election. This is very, very dangerous stuff. And one of the one of the real problems here is the Republicans, at least at the national level, the congressional Republicans, they want to just treat this as a political battle. And so every time anything happens, they jump to Trump's defense and argue against the rule of law. And that is also very dangerous. They're, they're playing a dangerous game here. Uh, because they're undermining the country's belief, at least a substantial portion of it, 
in the rule of law, which is at the core of our political system. Well, they certainly flagrantly broke the law. I mean, and I guess their only uh, defense is in effect that Donald Trump told them to do it because they believed the big lie that he has been propagating since he lost the election, which is that he won the election, right? And as you point out, he was busy trying to steal the election, claiming that the Democrats stole the election or the Biden stole the yeah. election, which I guess is a case of what is common with Trump, which is psychological projection, where his sins are projected onto somebody else. But the people that did this, I mean, they couldn't be too bright, could they, Fred? I mean, what were they thinking? Well, they were desperate to maintain power, and they were prepared to do anything. They did not have uh, a clever way of doing this because they lost. Now, we are focused on what we believe to be coming, which is another effort to steal the election if it comes down to it. And this time, people will have been educated. There is clearly a movement to try to steal the 2024 presidential election. They will have better lawyers this time. They'll know not what what not to do. So we have to be prepared to fight it off. Look, this is a very dangerous moment in American history. In 2020, we had the first attempted presidential in the history of the country. We now have a ongoing attack on the rule of law. If people have seen some of the recent articles, former President Trump is planning uh, what can only be described as exercising dictatorial powers if he's reelected again. We really have democracy on the line in the coming 2024 elections. And people better be prepared to defend our democracy uh, if we want to make sure we keep it. So in terms of what Jack Smith's up to, and as you say, he's the one that can deal with the big picture and particularly not these small fries who are stupid enough to show up at the Michigan State House and other state houses with the forged papers and pretending that they were the real electors, the people who orchestrated it and got this project underway clearly was it was a national effort. And then, of course, we know that a number of congressmen and, and senators like uh, Ron Johnson, he tried to pass off these fake election ballots. Correct. So did Jim Jordan as well. So they they hopefully, well, at least they should be in Jack Smith's crosshairs, but apparently he's already interviewed and subpoenaed about a dozen people in Arizona, and he's looking into activities surrounding the fake electors plot in Arizona and the laws that they could potentially be broken, like forgery and tampering with government records and impersonating a public servant. But you also say in your article... Uh, Fred at MSNBC, why Arizona's 2020 electors investigation only adds to Trump's troubles, that these cases, like in Georgia, Michigan, and Arizona, are important 
because they are not subject to federal pardons. So explain that further, if you will. Well, former President Trump, if he's reelected, the first thing he's going to do is pardon himself for everything that happened. And he's going to he's already said he's interested in pardoning the insurrectionists who viciously attacked the Capitol. He can pardon if he's elected or another Republican if he's elected. They can pardon anyone for any federal elect federal violations, but they cannot pardon people who have been convicted of state violations. So if people in Arizona or Michigan are convicted of violating the state laws, not the federal laws, uh, they can't be pardoned by anyone other than the governor of the state or whatever the state process is. So that is why it's important if it ever gets down to it. And the federal system can't interfere with what the state prosecutions are doing. Now, you talked about the evidence of stupidity here, and I just want to give you one example. In Michigan, the the electors are required to meet in the state capitol when they cast their votes and certify their position. The Michigan electors all signed statements, certified statements, that they met in the Michigan Capitol. But they couldn't get into the Michigan Capitol. So where they met was in the basement of the Republican State Party headquarters. That's perjury. I mean, that that is is fraudulent statements on its face. Uh, And no one who was paying any attention ever should have signed that document certifying that they had met in the state capitol. That kind of stuff happened all over the place. So just in the last couple of minutes then, uh, Fred Wertheimer, what do we know about the intellectual authors of this desperate ploy carried out by incredibly gullible people uh, who so flagrantly broke the law and attacked the very heart of American democracy, even if the Electoral College itself is a sort of relic. It's still the idea that anybody could substitute their preferences for the entire state's vote is unbelievable. So what do we know about those who planned and conceived and pulled off this operation as Keystone Cops as it was? Well, without commenting on whether his activity was legal or illegal, John Eastman was really the architect of the efforts by President Trump to take the presidency for himself, his coup efforts. Uh, he was the probably the key player in designing these efforts and we'll see what happens with him. He's currently being considered for disbarment in California. Uh, We don't know what Jack Smith will do with him or others, 
Mark Meadows was in former Congressman Mark Meadows, who was chief of staff for then President Trump. Uh, I don't know if I would describe him as the intellectual designer of this, but he was in the middle of everything that was going on. And both and, of these people you, have been have been interviewed by Jack Smith's grand jury. Yes. And they, I think they both have said they haven't received target letters yet. But that doesn't tell us what's going to happen here. You know, this is so massive. And Jack Smith has to pick and choose his best places. He just can't do all of this. So it's going to be very interesting to see what he comes down with in terms of uh, the potential crimes that he indicts on and the and the number of people he indicts. Now, Georgia, they also are doing a broad case. It's not just limited to Georgia. Or to put it another way, it's, they're not just looking at what happened at Georgia. They're looking at the people who were responsible for what happened in Georgia. And that could be a fairly broad indictment. So stay tuned. More to come. I think former President Trump is going to be a very busy man in the courts in the coming months. Well, Fred Wertham, I thank you very much for joining us here today. Sure. Happy to do it. And again, I've been speaking with Fred Wertheimer, who's the founder and president of Democracy 21, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that promotes campaign finance reform, lobbying, ethics, and related reforms to accomplish these goals. And he spent 35 years working on government integrity issues, and he has an article at MSNBC, Why Arizona's 2020 Electors Investigation Only Adds to Trump's Troubles. This has been Background Briefing. I'm Ian Masters. I'd like to thank producer Graham Fitzgibbon. And this program is available for podcasting at backgroundbriefing.org, where you can sign up for our email updates as well as subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this program, you can help us reach more listeners by taking a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do share the program with friends and family and colleagues on Twitter and Facebook. And I'll be back again tomorrow with another background briefing. Bye for now.